Hello and welcome to The Dad Whisperer. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Watson, and I'm so happy that you're joining me here today. And if you're a dad who wants to add more tools to your fathering toolbox, then you've come to the right place. Because as you know, my passion is to help dads become heroes. Well, before we delve into our topic today, here's the template that serves to guide our conversation week after week, which is simply on your mark, get set, go. So I want you to picture yourselves, dads, standing side by side each other, getting ready to run your fathering race this week, and I'm on the sidelines as your coach saying, on your mark, get set, go. On your mark is the topic or the theme. Get set as I'm going to fill that in with stories and stats, and go is always your practical action step where you can put your love for your daughters and your sons into action. Well, today I have a guest joining me who is ready to be vulnerable, and he's going to get real about his journey as a man and as a father. He's going to take his mask off as a way to invite you men to do the very same thing. David Van Deest and I first met back in the summer. Oh my goodness, I think it was 1979 when we were both on a summer staff at Camp Furwood in Bellingham, Washington, which simply means that we go way back and it's fun to reconnect here today. Well, let me tell you a little bit about him before we begin our conversation. David has worked in Christian publishing since 1988, where he has worked with some of the most recognizable authors in the country, and he has worked in sales, as a marketing director, and even as a vice president of sales and marketing for a small Christian publisher. And for the last 15 years, he has worked as a literary agent and also was a certified Walk Through the Bible Old Testament instructor, which has given him a broad range of experience in leading seminars and workshops for publishing. He has served as a men's ministry leader at a local church and has also worked at a men's addiction recovery facility. David has also graduated recently with a master's degree in counseling and has a counseling practice in Gresham, Oregon called New Pattern Counseling, where he focuses particularly on working with men. He's married and has five sons, three are biological and two are stepsons. Welcome, David Van Deest. Hey, thank you. It's good to be here. I know, after all these years reconnecting, we haven't aged at all. Uh, yeah, you haven't, but, but... Cover up the gray. Yeah, I have. There we go. Well, the title of our talk today, On Your Mark, is How One Dad Dismantled His False Identity So He Could Be Rebuilt. How's that for a mouthful? You and I did a lot of prep for this, didn't we? Because we really wanted this to be a message to men about what do you do when you've hit rock bottom, right? Yeah. Yep. Everything starts falling apart. Yep. So you're going to be talking today about how you dismantled your false identity so that God could rebuild you, basically, right? That's correct. There it is in a nutshell. Yeah. Well, when we first talked about doing this interview, you told me that in your various professional and ministry roles with men, that you've seen a lot of men who are disengaged, shrinking back, mm -hmm. that kind of persona, mm -hmm. because they don't have a place where they feel secure and competent. Even more, you said that you've seen men who are confused about what real masculinity even looks like because our culture has provided such a skewed definition. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, you bet. Uh, over the years, I've talked with uh, dozens of men between the ages of 20 and 60 about the message that guys are given mm -hmm. uh, from the media and from our culture. Right. Everyone I've asked agrees with the idea that there are there's a, there's a lot of confusion. You know, even in the church surrounding who and what men are supposed to be. Don't be 
toxic, don't be that sort of sort of thing. Right. Uh, you know, it's the message we're giving to women is pretty clear. Um, you know, be aggressive, be firm, be bold, be strong. You can do it. All those kind of things. And when I ask men that, they they kind of go, "No, I don't." That's not what we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned that there's this void then yep. for men between what they're being told or what's modeled to them or the message they're being given and their own reality. Yeah. For most men, there's this uncertainty and there's a big void mm-hmm. there. And it largely is about the uh, they want to be competent. Exactly. Uh, so either they're getting no message about who they should be. Or they're getting told they need to be this superhero, this macho man, mm-hmm. neither of which are really good. Right. So what happens when a man doesn't feel competent to be in the dominant masculine world? He turns to places where he does feel competent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that just makes to, a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like pornography, video games, or, uh, you know, someplace that he can go and conquer that he is sure to be able to conquer. Right, and be that masculine mm-hmm. ideal that he wants to be, even if he doesn't feel like it, right? Yeah. yep. Well, because you've personally experienced some of the realities, right, that you just mentioned, you told me that, and because you also said you have nothing to hide here today mm-hmm. and you want to share more of your story, you're willing to do that, how about if we dive right into the deep end? And I'd love to ask you, David, have you ever felt incompetent in that dominant masculine world and if so, what impact has that had on your own insecurity or security? In a word, yes. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've been married before and my marriage, my previous marriage collapsed in large part because of my struggle, uh, which was 20 years with pornography, mm. the addiction of pornography. Okay. Um, you know, and there was just this, it just added to the incompetence. It was the medicine I felt I needed to counter my sense of inferiority. Wow, I don't know that I've heard it said that way. Yeah. That pornography was a medicine. Wow, that's, sure. that's a potent way to say it. Mm-hmm. Like, in other words, it was an antidote to some pain, to yep. something going on A deeper. deep sense of insecurity, a deep sense of incompetence. Uh-huh. I so appreciate you admitting that. Yeah. Because you're leading the way here for men that are listening that say, I've never talked about pornography and I've never heard it talked about by a Christian man, right? right who's admitting right. behind the mask, this is the struggle. And, you know, I couldn't let other guys too close because I was afraid that they would find out that I was wearing a mask and mm-hmm. that they, then they would see, you know, that I was a fraud and who I really was. So I couldn't wow. let them too close. Uh-huh. That makes sense. Um, so whenever I was feeling less than or not worthy, mm-hmm. you know, I would turn to uh, pornography because it made me feel competent. It made me feel desired. That woman adored me and thought I was the hottest and best thing ever. Okay, that takes some guts to admit, my friend. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I finally got to the place where I began to covertly address it with my wife, my, with my first wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she started to be a little bit suspicious, and she went and checked my online history and really kind of found out, and that's when the wheels really began to come off. I so appreciate you just admitting that there's this kind of struggle inside and you didn't have anywhere to go at that point in your life because mm. nobody was talking about this openly. Is that mm. fair to say? That is, yes. And that yet is true. you had to finally, when everything began to fall apart, mm. d- we talked today about the dismantling of David Van Deese to be rebuilt, that God was using all of this to take you to a different place inside of mm-hmm. yourself. Well, because you've experienced the loss of your marriage, 
You've talked about even more parts of your life that begin to kind of unravel. Can you say any more about what that season looked like? Well, yeah, that was a tough season. After my wife uh, left, uh, we weren't yet divorced. I really had no one to turn to. The relationships that I had with other guys were shallow. Uh, so when you know what hit the fan, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there was no one for me to go to, no one for me to pull alongside. So there's a quote that really struck me from a book called True Faced. Oh, I love that book. Yeah, it, it really was one of those books that I resonated very much so with. And here it is. Many of us remain so wounded and preoccupied with our own stuff that we concoct our own tepid cheap dreams and call them gods. After a while, we wouldn't recognize God's dream for us if it came up and shouted, howdy, I'm your dream. And really, that was me. You know, I was doing all the right Christian stuff. I had built for myself a life uh, that looked really good. I wanted to be respected. I wanted to be an elder in our church. I wanted to be all these things. But those were cheap, tepid dreams. Mm. Because behind it, there was a whole other reality that was impacting all those things you were doing. Mm-hmm. But at mm-hmm. the time, did it seem like there was any impact to your job, to your marriage, to your fathering? Or did those become more clear later? Those definitely became more clear later. You know, I couldn't see a lot of that stuff early on. Right. Because I think that's the nature of addiction, right? It mm-hmm. gets us in a false reality yep. where we're not even connected to what's really happening outside of us. For sure. And I think now as a counselor, you're talking with men Mm -hmm. and you're helping them dismantle a false identity. And that's what you and I were both hoping people take away from this conversation today is it really takes an admitting that there's more going on under the surface and that the brokenness is real. And you had to go to a deeper place then. I just want to say thank you to you because you are being transparent and honest. And I don't know very many Christian men that have been honest about their pornography addiction. In fact, I've wanted to get men on here and they have said no Mm. because they don't want people to know that that's part of their story. And yet you took a step of courage today to come and model to men that the only way you can heal is you have to take the mask off. Back Mm -hmm. to the True Faced book that you referenced. And I believe, as I imagine you do, that if men would talk more openly about their real struggles and about what they're really doing to cope and to numb... In other words, they face their inferiority, they face their incompetence, there would be healing for them. Is that what you would say to men listening? Most definitely. So David, you said then that you ended up when your marriage was falling apart and you were losing your job at the same time. Is that right? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Again, the wheels coming off the bus. Yep. That you took a step of courage to tell this story Mm -hmm. in front of like, what was it? A hundred men? Yep. What was that like? It was a men's retreat. Okay. Yeah. And I was asked uh, by the uh, men's leader at the time at that church, if I would give my testimony because he knew my testimony and uh, I said, sure. Uh, with some trepidation. With some I'm trepidation. Sure. Yeah. But, but no, it was one of those things that I recognized that was part of my healing, part of my restoration. Was admitting the struggle in front of men? Yeah. How was did that tie about to your it. healing and restoration? Well, the mo- more open I could be, the more I could face it, the more I could let, let that out because I had held it in for so long. The more I could let that out, the less power it had. Ah. So would you say then that there was a correlation between the dismantling of that false identity in order to be rebuilt? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did that really look like for you? I was devastated. I was lonely. 
people at the church, they don't really know what to do with you at the time. You have the big D emblazoned on your chest. What's D stand for? For divorce. Oh, got it. It's not the scarlet letter, but it almost. Okay. It's not that people don't want to to come alongside, but it just makes them uncomfortable. So, did it also make them uncomfortable to know you dealt with pornography? Maybe. That's oh, I'm the sure it did. Under the yeah, it could have been shirt too. Yeah, it could have been. But I was devastated. I was lonely. But during that time, it was interesting. I I really had no desire for pornography during that time. Once you opened it up, right, and were real. Yep. In fact, the idea kind of repulsed me at the time. Uh And then six to seven months later, after she was gone, there was a turning point over the course of a few four or five days. As your life was being dismantled, like all at the same time, right? You lost your job, you lost your marriage. You've now been honest in front of people and men in this men's retreat. What was it really like for you, again, as all the wheels started coming off your bus? Yeah, I was devastated. Uh, I was at rock bottom. I couldn't imagine going any lower. And I do remember that right after all that stuff happened, Mm -hmm. that I called a friend and the one that had asked me to give my testimony in front of the men's retreat. And he came over. And I vividly remember him coming to the door, knocking me, opening the door. He didn't say anything. Yeah. And he just, I just started bawling, you know, and I hadn't cried much uh, growing up. There was crying was also one of those things that you didn't want to do. But I just, I just cried. As he, he just, held you? He just hugged me. Oh. And I just, probably for five minutes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I just cried and cried and cried. Even now, you may be able to hear it in my voice yeah, a little bit. You know, I just, love that. Yeah. Because you're talking about part of the dismantling allowed you to connect with the way that God wired you as a man, which is to cry. For sure. To get in touch with that deep emotion. Mm-hmm. And you had another man join you in that. Yep. And you told me that you also had to ask other men <laughs> to come alongside you. What did that look like? <laughs> it's really weird now, thinking about it. Because I actually did, uh, I really had no nobody there. I mean, I knew guys. I played basketball. I did, did some of the guy stuff. Uh, but I really knew no one. And they uh, didn't know in you. In an intimate way. Right. And so, after realizing that, I actually went up to a couple guys and said, you know, kind of, I'm not sure if it was this blatant, but kind of, would you be my friend? And uh, a couple of the guys did, and they walked through stuff with me through that that. period. And was it like an accountability thing? You know, to a degree it was, but not, not typically, you know, not where you'd go sit down. So have you viewed pornography today, you know, and, or how have you been the last week? It was just walking alongside with me in my pain and in my suffering because, uh, and just loving me. Wow. Cause you're saying you were finally known fully mm-hmm. because yep. you weren't hiding anything anymore. And I yep. truly believe, tell, you can weigh in on this, David, as a counselor right, as a former pastor, is that I believe men are hungering and longing to be known fully and to be safe enough in a relationship that they don't have to hide or run to the false substitute, right, to numb and assuage their pain. Yeah, well, we have falsely given men this idea that they have to be strong and, well, and that's not necessarily bad, but the way we have presented what that looks like is bad. Exactly, because it's not real. right. It's like, just buck it up, you know, act like you have it all together. Yep. Well, since we're talking about this process of dismantling your false identity before you could be rebuilt, how would you define your former false identity? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm still sniffling from from a few tears. You know, I was everything that I had feared. 
you know, I had to recognize that I wasn't adequate, and and some of that's okay. Mm. Um, I was insecure. Uh, you know, that nece- isn't necessarily okay. But you know, I felt incompetent. I was out without real close relationships, and I produced an air of arrogance and boldness to compensate for that. Mm-hmm. You know, the challenge was that I couldn't see that I was, I was posing, that I was putting on masks. I didn't recognize that. I was so insecure. I did this just as a way to protect myself, as a way to, to cover the person that, that, um, that was I was. Yeah, that. that was there. Wow. Yeah. Well, let me just even ask you this. Is, could you share a little bit then about how you learned to face your incompetence? Because obviously that would not be easy for any man. Right. So how did you do it? I had to sit in the reality of who I was. You know, I don't think I was ever cured. Um, I think that that's a misnomer, a, a, mm-hmm. a, a, a wrong idea, because we're all in process. But I was healed. You know, today, I'm still fragile. I'm still, you know, you, you may have heard me kind of sniffle a little bit, and that's okay. Right. Being real. In fact, it's very, it's important to be real. It's, Absolutely. It's important to, to, to recognize your pain. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. kind of sounds cliche, but I, I, I did get to rock bottom. And uh, I realized that the, there was, I was at the point that I just kind of had to make a choice. Uh, continuing down the path as I had, uh, which didn't, it really wasn't working that well anyway. Yeah, there you go. Right. I mean, I had tried it for 20 years and it, it just wasn't working. Or turn to Christ. Trust in Christ. What did that process look like? Where no longer were you just maybe in your head saying, I'm a Christian. How did Christ, how did Jesus become real to you in that season? Yeah, he would wake me up at, uh, you know, early in the mornings and 3.30, 3, you know, and I'd just wake up and I'd be ready. I'd be, uh, you know, wide awake at that time. And I, I would cry and I would pray. Those were some of the sweetest times. So how did you learn to cry? I want to go back to that. You mentioned that earlier. You're like, okay, I'm being vulnerable here. I'm sniffling. Wow. I don't know if I learned to cry. It just happened. There, you know, I kind of opened the floodgates and it, it just, I, it's almost like I couldn't stop it. Once it started. Once it started. If and you had it to do over again, would you tell yourself earlier in life, cry, learn to let out what you're feeling? Or would you say, nope, don't ever let them see you cry? Well, I would tell myself that. I don't know if I would listen. Really? So yeah. what would you tell men listening that say, I don't cry? You know, yeah. never let them see a sweat, never let them see you cry. Yeah. No. It, Where it, do you start? It is part of the pathway to healing. Because mm. mm-hmm. we only cry when something touches us deep. Yep. And those emotions, those pains, those, those feelings of crying are there for a reason. They tell us a, a message. Mm-hmm. And if we aren't doing, if we aren't recognizing them, then we're missing the message that they're trying to tell us. Which is? Which is that I'm hurt. There you go. I'm vulnerable. Would you now include that kind of vulnerability and, dare I say, softness in your definition of masculinity now? Oh, no question. Yeah. So there the rebuilding yeah. of David Van Deest includes crying. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Vulnerability. In fact, I read somewhere where when women feel like crying, and this is stereotyping, but okay. I'm going to do it yeah, because there is a point here. But when f- women feel like crying and are hurt because they won't feel like crying, men get angry. And so, and that's what I would do. You and would that's get what angry. I would get angry. Uh-huh. Um, and I would say, you know, if you are getting angry, look at it 
really closely and try to determine if there if you are if there's an injury there if there's pain there mm-hmm. and if you go there it diminishes the anger doesn't it oh it does so mm-hmm. is there any relationship then between the image that you hid behind you talked about the mask and your pornography addiction now that you look back mm-hmm. yeah for sure hey, you know i created those masks they they helped uh, me they did it they did a job at the it, time they yeah. helped they, they, yeah, they were helped, doing the job. Put in quotes. Exactly, helped put in quotes. Uh, you know, they they helped cover my inferiority. They helped uh, make me feel like I was more uh, masculine, like I was more competent than Even I. Even if it was, was a false view yeah. that you'd created inside your fantasy, yep. at the time you said it helped. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I would turn to pornography to boost my self esteem. Weird. Oddly enough, it was weird. Um, but in, in the long run, it did just the opposite. Yeah. It tore down your self-esteem under the mask. Would you admit that now? Yeah. Yep. But you couldn't admit it then? No, 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 no. I couldn't recognize that because that, the narrative that I, I had created, uh, needed to, uh, stay strong. And so the real issue is, is not sharing it for me. The real issue is, is, is being willing to share it. And that's why I'm here today Uh is because, uh, I mean, this is not not a walk in the the you know flowers today. It's not fun, um, but it is something that is is vital because you're important. basically saying you wish someone would have set the pace for you in being yeah. open about this. Yeah, and you don't hide anymore. I think no. that's what I hear you saying, which is so powerful. That part of the false identity, it's fueled by hiding. Fueled by hiding, and the shame grows yeah. in that kind of an environment. Yeah. Well, I've just got a couple more questions for you. Here's one. If the 50-plus-year-old David Van Deest could saddle up to the 25-year-old David years ago and share wisdom to address, I guess what we'll say is like the core needs and deep longings that you had then but didn't know, what would you tell him? Wow. I would say, dude, you are loved. Because I, I really wasn't sure of that. Um, you know, I'd also, I would also say to my younger self, your masks are only keeping you from living the life that God has created you to live. Uh, what we talked about in that earlier quote, you know, it's like a, like a cheap substitute. I don't mm-hmm. know if those were the exact words. But, um, you know, also, you know, I know you think you may be rejected. Uh, and I'm not going to lie. Uh, there may be some people that do walk away because of that. I mean, that's the reality. You're right. Part but, of life. Yeah, it's part of life. But if they do, those people may not have been the right people there for you anyway. Right. The other thing that I would tell my younger self is don't try to perform for God because then it will just be that, a performance. Oh, thank you for saying that because I deal with that. I'm a firstborn. I like to perform. I like to do things well. And I don't even realize sometimes it's getting in the way Mm. of being free because then when I make mistakes, it's harder to accept them and embrace them. Oh, I so appreciate you saying that that's what you would tell your younger self. So you know that I end every show with a go step so that dads can put their love for their kids into action. If you could give dads one place to start to begin dismantling their false identity in order to be rebuilt, what would you, David Van Deese, tell them? Mm. You can't do it alone. You've tried for years to free yourself from this and you haven't had success. Um, you know, you may have experienced uh, periods where you have had success, 
And I did. There were periods where, where I went for a, for a little while without participating in pornography. Um, but then I failed again. And so I'm telling you, seek help. I know it's hard. I know it's embarrassing. And you feel incredibly vulnerable. And I get that. But do it. Do it. Do it. Ask one or two other guys to walk with you through this. Call me. Call another counselor. And where's your counseling it's in Gresham. And the name of it is? It's New Pattern Counseling. Okay. So they can just look it up yep. online. New it's Pattern online. Counseling. New, NewPatternCounseling.com. And you'd be happy to meet with them. Yep. Talk to them about yep. this. Because you're saying, I get it. I've lived it. Yep. And if they don't have someone, you're like, I can be your someone. Right. Thank you so much for being real today, for telling your story, for challenging other men to follow your lead. Mm. Because I think sometimes it just takes one man to set yeah. the pace differently and to say, if you talk about your struggle with pornography in the yep. context of a safe relationship, healing will come. Yep, for well, sure. if you've been joining us today, you've been listening to our conversation, how one dad dismantled his false identity so he could be rebuilt. Today, I've been talking with David Van Deest, and you've heard him challenge you men, and he's telling you, call one or two people, be honest with them about the struggle, and take action. Well, as always, you know you can write me at drmichelleatthedadwhisper.com. You can go to my website at drmichellewatson.com and find more free resources. You can always subscribe to the Dad Whisperer podcast on iTunes so that you can listen again or share it with your friends. Well, this wraps up another week's program. It's been so fun to be here with you today, even with a challenging and tough an intricate conversation about pornography. I'm Dr. Michelle Watson, the Dad Whisperer, encouraging you today to make today a day where you intentionally and consistently invest in pursuing your daughter's hearts. Go Dads! Go Dads!